0: Welcome again to The Compass, the podcast ministry of Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville, Arkansas. We're thrilled that you've chosen to download and listen as we continue through God's Word. Now in today's podcast, Pastor Kirk is going to be continuing our series entitled 50 Days That Changed the World. Before we get to that, let me take this opportunity to invite you to join us for worship at Calvary Baptist Church. We're located at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Our worship service begins at 1030 on Sunday mornings. and We would love the opportunity to worship and to celebrate all that God is and all that he does in our world with you. Now, if you have any questions about your church, you can actually find those at calvaryfayetteville.com or call us at 479-442-4634. Again, on today's podcast, Pastor Kirk is talking about 50 days to change the world from John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31 with a message entitled, Believe. Let's listen together.
1: Well, I wanna begin today with what I believe to be an important question. I actually brought it up a few weeks ago when we began this series of, from Passover to Pentecost, these 50 days that changed the world and we have emphasized that the 50 days uh, that we're talking about is recorded in just a small section of scriptures. The last chapter of Matthew, the last chapter of Mark, the last chapter of Luke, the last two chapters of John, and we've spent most of our time in John chapter 20, and in the first chapter of the book of Acts. These days between the resurrection of Jesus, particularly. And the day that Jesus ascended back to heaven and the Spirit came down 10 days later. What was so important about these days? Why did Jesus delay His return to heaven for 40 days after His resurrection? I mean, after all, the hard work and the heavy lifting had been done, right? In fact, Jesus on the cross, before He died, said what? It is... Finished, So if it was finished, why then did he hang around after his resurrection for another 40 days for what seemed to be unfinished work? Well, his work of redemption was finished when he offered his life as a sacrifice for our sins. When he rose victorious over death in the grave... He sealed forever our eternal life, showing that He is the one who has power over life and death, promising for you and me a resurrection in the future. But His work with His disciples was not finished. He didn't just rise from the grave and go straight home to heaven. There were some things that needed to take place. In your worship guide today, In fact, you have a brief summary of the things, of the different appearances, uh, the things that we know from those chapters I alluded to a moment ago. You have a list of those events. We don't have a lot of detail there, a lot of scripture explaining where each one is found, but when you take Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Acts, and you kind of collate that together, and you... uh, Uh, you bring that into uh, an order of how they took place the events after the resurrection it looks somewhat like what you see uh, in your worship guide today so after his resurrection Jesus walked among his followers for forty days before ascending back to his father in heaven and then 10 days later the Spirit of God comes in his fullness on the church, on the people of God. I believe we have some insight into why the delay of Jesus in our text today, which is two verses, John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. And once again we declare that this is the Word of the Lord. Amen? This is the Word of the Lord. Jesus did many other things all during the course of His life especially during the course of his three and a half years with his disciples that are not written in this book. There are even things that he did in those last 40 days of his pilgrimage here on earth that are not written in this book. I've always found it fascinating that the very next chapter, if you look over to John chapter 21, then in verse 25, John says this, now there are also many other things that Jesus did. He repeats that. Then he says, were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain all the books that would be written. If the whole world were one big library. It could not contain all the volumes about the things Jesus said and did. But these were written so that we might believe. So that we might believe. That was John's reason for writing his book, so that you and me so that we might believe but understand Jesus stayed 40 days after his resurrection so that the apostles the disciples might believe for they were struggling you see even they struggled with unbelief does that not amaze you they walked alongside him for three and a half years they heard his words and his teachings up close and personal. They saw his true love and compassion for others. They experienced his miracles and were even given the authority and the power themselves to perform some of those miracles. <clears throat> they received firsthand instruction interpretation of Old Testament prophecies even the prophecies of his death and resurrection and in spite of all of that in spite of all of their advantages of walking and talking and living alongside Jesus for three and a half years I mean after all we had, we had graduation day yesterday, three and a half years with Jesus. Can you imagine for these disciples? And even after all of that, they didn't pass the test. They flunked. Why? Because they struggled with their belief. If you want proof of that, let me just share with you a few verses, then I'll get to the outline for our message today. In Mark chapter 16, In verse 14, we read these words. This was late in the day of of Resurrection Sunday. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief, for their hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him After he had risen, do you remember how Mary and the other women came back and said, We have seen the Lord. We have seen the Lord, but the disciples did not believe. When Jesus then appeared to them, he rebuked them for their unbelief, for their lack of trust and confidence. And he rebuked them for their hardness of heart. You know what that word means? Hardness of heart? It means obstinacy. And their perverseness, he rebuked them because they were so obstinate and they were so perverse because they had not believed. Literally, they had refused to believe. It was a matter of the heart. And then also, we read in the book of Luke, this time verse uh, chapter 24, verse 11, as, again, the women had shared with the disciples That they had seen the risen Lord, but these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Idle tale, that word is nonsense. When they heard about an empty tomb and a stone rolled away, they thought this sounds like nonsense. They had trouble with their belief. Again, in Luke chapter 24, verse 25. And Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. You've read the prophecies. I've taught you the prophecies. I've interpreted for you the prophets, and yet you are foolish. You are inconsiderate, unintelligent, and unwise. And you are slow of heart. You know what the word is for slow of heart in the Greek? It means stupid. You stupid, stupid men. Slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And can I say to you, I've struggled with what God has said on many occasions. Have you? And I just hear God saying to you, Kirk, you are stupid, stupid, stupid. You are inconsiderate, you are unintelligent, and you are unwise because you've not taken me at my word. In the book of John, we read that Thomas said, not only do I not believe, but my mind's made up. I will never believe unless I see with my eyes and feel with my own hands the scars in his hands. And a little while later, Jesus shows up and said, hey, Tom, I'm here. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And he used a word when he said, do not disbelieve, do not continue in unbelief. Do not, listen, do not continue to violate your own faith and trust. To disbelieve is false and treacherous. It is what infidels do. It is what pagans do. And oftentimes we as believers, though we believe in Christ and though we have trusted him as our Savior, the way we choose to live in this life is more like pagans and infidels than those that fully follow and believe in Jesus Christ with all of our hearts. And John said to Thomas, instead, Thomas, believe, believe, believe. And that's the message today to you. Believe. Believe. So here's the deal. This is why Jesus had to invest another almost six weeks. Actually, yeah, almost six more weeks of ministry after the resurrection. He was going to turn this ministry of the kingdom of God and the preaching of the gospel over to 11 men, to 11 apostles, 11 followers, had he rose from the grave and ascended straight from the grave tomb of Joseph of Arimathea on back to heaven, he would have left all of his ministry in the hands of men who were acting more like pagans and infidels rather than men who were ready to do his will. They weren't ready to handle the truth of the gospel. Though they had walked with him and talked with him, though they had done many great things during these three and a half years with Jesus, and though they had learned many important lessons, and though they had seen what others have never seen, they were not ready to carry the burden of the gospel. They were disbelieving. They were struggling to believe in his resurrection. And if they were having doubts about his resurrection, how firmly could they preach then the ministry and the gospel of the resurrection to other people? This is how Luke begins the book of Acts. He summarizes it for us. He says, Jesus presented himself alive to them these disciples, these followers, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. I believe the King James uses the word infallible truths. Definite, positive, clear, undeniable proofs. That's how Jesus presented himself to his disciples after his suffering, after his resurrection appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So for 40 days, almost six weeks, he invested his life again into these men with many undeniable, infallible truths of his resurrection so that they would be real, true, unshakable believers And followers in Jesus Christ that's what we need today I need to be that kind of believer and so do you why would they need to be so sure of the gospel and of the death and resurrection of Jesus because you see these men were going to face the same fate as Jesus They were going to be called on to give their lives also for what they believed in. And to a man, all 11 of these disciples died martyrs' death except one. Possibly John lived to an old age. But understand, even before that, they tried to boil him in oil and he just wouldn't die. But all the rest were run through with lances, crucified upside down, beheaded, and all the rest. They needed to be sure of this gospel that it was worth dying for. And that's why Jesus spent this time with them. Now, let me say this. I'm going to give you three points. and and. It'll work pretty quickly, so don't worry that we've got the whole sermon yet to go, okay? I see a little bit of fear and trepidation in your faces. Understand this. When the Bible talks about faith, in the New Testament, in the Greek language in which the New Testament was written, the word believe and the word faith are exactly the same word. There's no distinction. There's no difference. Now, today, we tend to kind of separate the two because we talk about believing is one thing but having faith is another. But understand, when the Bible uses that word, or those, uh, that word, the context will reveal to us what kind of belief that we're talking about, whether it's just mental belief here or whether it's real heartfelt belief Faith. The word simply means mental assent, but also to have faith, also to entrust yourself to something or someone. And I want to say to you, whatever you are putting your hope and trust in today to get you to heaven, it needs to be true Bible belief, true Bible faith. And so let me define that for you. And we have a little illustration, I believe, that will be on the screen. Genuine Bible faith. Understand this. It begins in the head with mental understanding, comprehension, mental assent. It moves to the heart where we surrender the will of our lives to God, resulting in a change of life, how we live And how we work in this life. I like to summarize it by three things. The head, the heart, the hand. Okay? The head, the heart, and the hand. True Bible faith begins in the head. But if it doesn't result in the hand, how we live, and how we work in life, it has never gone the distance. It is not true Bible faith. The kind of faith that is the gift of God, the way of salvation, true grace, Ephesians 2, not the works of man. Okay, so let's walk through those three kind of quickly. First of all, the head, the head, the key word is the word understand. We read about this in many places, but in Romans chapter 10 in particular, saving faith, Real Bible belief begins here. It begins in the head. It begins in the mind. It begins with understanding the gospel message. We've often used in Baptist churches as a non-biblical term, I believe it is, for the most part, a biblical idea, but you won't find these words in the Bible. We talk about sometimes an age of accountability. Have you heard that? You're familiar with that term? It means that a child cannot be saved, cannot be born again, till they come to an age of recognizing that they are accountable for their souls that they are accountable to God, that they are accountable To the message of the Gospel. It's why we do not baptize infants, okay? It's why we, because we believe baptism is a testimony of faith and trust in Christ, and only those who have trusted Christ and come to understand in their minds that they've surrendered their lives to God, then they are baptized as a testimony of their salvation. Now Paul talks about this understanding by asking a series of questions in Romans chapter 10. Romans is a, is a deeply wonderful book about justification by faith, through grace in the Lord. It's a missiological book because it talks about how to be saved, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, how the gospel, how sin, and then the gospel levels uh, the playing field for everybody. And in Romans chapter 10, he's asking some questions. And listen to these words. How then will they call on him, speaking of Jesus, in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? He's kind of working backwards. How will they call on Jesus if they've not believed in Jesus? How will they believe in Jesus if they've not heard of Jesus? And then how are they to hear without someone preaching to them, without the gospel being presented? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? as it is written, he's quoting from the Old Testament now, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. Now we'll touch on that in a minute, a little bit later. It's not just to believe the gospel, it is to obey the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord who has believed what he has heard from us. And then he summarizes in verse 17, so faith... Comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith comes by hearing. Does that mean a deaf person or someone who is getting harder of hearing like I am almost daily? My favorite word these days is huh? Huh? Will you say that again a little louder this time? Does it mean someone who cannot hear? Uh, can't be saved no hearing means understanding comprehending mental understanding that's where salvation starts it is the mind God has given us this mind not to be uh, just mindful of our own things but to be able to comprehend the gospel the process of hearing and comprehending faith comes by hearing by understanding many have never heard the gospel Many do not comprehend the gospel when they do hear it, such as, again, infants, or maybe it's a language issue. But, but understand that, that only heart knowledge, only heart salvation saves the person. Head knowledge doesn't. There's probably, very likely, someone here today that in your mind you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, or at least you're open to that idea. You even believe the Bible. It's why you're here. It's why you're faithful here. You believe that, and after all, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. But understand, when the Bible says that, it means more than just here. It means more than a head knowledge. Remember what James said about that? James said, Even the demons believe, and they shudder, and they tremble. But not a one of them are going to make it to heaven. They are fallen angels. They have a head knowledge, but not a heart knowledge. So let's move from the head to the heart. From the head to the heart. And the key word with the heart is surrender. Surrender. With head knowledge of understanding the gospel— we comprehend, with the head we understand, but it is with the heart, and the heart not as a, an organ inside your body that keeps you alive, but the heart being recognized as the very center of your emotions and your will, the inner you, where real decisions are made, where the real you is located, and there in the heart, When you comprehend the gospel, you recognize there is a decision to be made. A decision to be made. What am I going to do with this gospel that tells me that if I do not follow Christ, if I do not obey the gospel... That I will spend an eternity separated from God in a place called hell. That, That the only way of knowing God and to be with God for all eternity is to trust Him and to believe in Him with my heart and surrender my heart. I have a decision. I have a dilemma. Am I going to do that or not? There's an old saying that says some people are going to miss heaven by 18 inches the distance from here to here. They've got the head knowledge, but they don't have the heart knowledge because they've never run up the white flag of their will. They've never surrendered themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. They've never let the truth grip their hearts and lead them to surrender. As I mentioned, James, the half brother of our Lord, in James chapter 2, talking about the demons. Even they believe and shudder, but understand they are fighting him tooth and nail. They are resisting his will, they are resisting his gospel. They want to keep you from trusting Christ as your Savior. They will do anything, they are bent on destruction, but they believe here. But they don't surrender here. Now, back to Romans chapter 10 and the verses leading up to the ones we read a moment ago. Listen to this. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, now listen. And you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the promise of Scripture. And you understand that, that when he said, For with the heart one believes and is justified, with the mouth one confesses and is saved, he's moving on to point number three that we'll get into in a moment. That confession of the mouth, that public willingness to confess, to follow the Lord in baptism, to declare I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, that's how the gospel changes our lives. That's how it changes our hands, our work, the way we live and the way we carry out His will in this life. But I want to step aside from this for just a moment and say something, because I think we struggle with it. I know I have. Salvation, listen to me now, is more than a feeling. Salvation is more than a feeling. Understand feelings and emotions are very tricky things. They are even deceitful. The Bible tells us the heart, our feelings, our emotions, the seat of our our inner being, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? My friend, I want to say to you, there's not a person in this room today that is smart enough, that is intelligent enough, that is gifted enough in their own person to even understand your own heart. We make a mess of life because of our heart and our feelings. We get into relationships. We make life decisions. We marry and then bail on marriage. Why? Because, well, I fell in love with him at one time, but somewhere on the way, we fell out of love. Let me tell you something, folks. Love is not a hole in the ground that you fall into. That's emotion, it's feelings. It's wonderful when it's there and when you're young. But I'm going to tell you something. You need more than that kind of emotion to go the distance in life and in marriage. It takes more than that. It has to grow into not just infatuation, but real love where there is surrender of our wills to one another. And obedience to God, the obedience of the gospel the obedience of His Word. Feelings and emotions are very tricky. They're even deceitful. However, and that however is in all caps in my notes right here, there is an emotional component to true conversion. It's more than a feeling, but it does involve our feelings. When we genuinely surrender our hearts to God, our inner man is made alive. It is awakened to God's presence. It's called the new birth. It's called being born again. And somewhere in all of that, now listen to me, if you remember nothing else, please remember this. Somewhere in all of that, WE COME TO HOLD JESUS CHRIST AS THE GREATEST TREASURE OF OUR LIVES. THAT'S TRUE CONVERSION. WE DON'T ALWAYS LIVE BY THAT. WE DON'T ALWAYS MAKE THE BEST DECISIONS. BUT SOMEWHERE IN OUR LIVES JESUS CHRIST has to become our greatest treasure. More important than any other human being. More important than my family. More important than my career, my job. More important than my possessions. More important than my hobbies. More important than my sports. More important than anybody or anything, Jesus Christ is our greatest treasure. Listen to this testimony by John Wesley, the brother of Charles Wesley, the famous Wesleys of England. This is his testimony. In the evening, I went very unwillingly. understand that by this point in his life, John and Charles both had been ordained as ministers. They were serving as pastors. They had even gone overseas to do mission work. But here's what John had to say, because you see, in the very same year that John Wesley experienced this salvation, shortly before this, his brother Charles had experienced salvation. In spite of all of their work they had done for God, They were not converted. And here's how John testifies. In the evening I went very unwillingly to a church in Aldersgate Street, just like some of you came very unwillingly to this place today, but somebody made you, right? Somebody shamed you into it. Somebody said, you're gonna go or else. He said, very unwillingly, I went to a church in Aldersgate Street where one was reading Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans. And so so here's what's being read. This is the message that night at that church. Luther's commentary on the book of Romans, the preface to the book is being read. But there was so much gospel in that preface explaining what it meant to be a true believer of Jesus Christ. He said they were reading a preface to the Epistle of the Romans about a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ. I felt my heart strangely warm. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. And I ask you, has God the Holy Spirit ever done that to you and for you? Friends, I didn't know much. I was nine years old when, as best I can understand it, God converted my soul. I confess to you, I can't remember praying a prayer. I can't remember ever saying, Jesus, come into my heart and save my soul. All I know that night was, for some reason, For the first time in my life, I wanted Christ. I wanted forgiveness. I wanted to be His follower. And that decision did not come from me because the Bible says no one seeks God on his own. No one chooses Christ on their own. Only when God energizes the Spirit, only when God does that work of quickening, that warming of the heart that Wesley describes, only when God gives the gift of faith is that desire ever there. I remember that night. For some reason, we were at church and revival meeting. My parents didn't go to church much even on a good Sunday, I don't know why, we ended up at church on a Wednesday night of a revival meeting in November of 1962, but we did. And I went forward to tell that pastor that I wanted to follow Christ. Brother Bob Batson, Park Place Baptist Church, Little Rock, Arkansas, read some scriptures and prayed for me. And all I know is afterwards There were a lot of hugging and all that kind of business, but I was just, I felt such a warmth and contentedness of spirit and of soul. My heart was strangely warmed like it had never been before. And I want to say to you that your experience may not be like that, but somewhere Christ has to become your greatest treasure that's what heart surrender is all about let's close this up by looking at the third point the hand the head is where faith starts with comprehending and understanding it leads to a dilemma of soul our heart where our will and emotion reside we have to make a choice to repent, to turn away, to give our lives to Christ, to surrender ourselves to God. When that happens and we do that, understand this. God does this other part. It deals with the hand, and the key word is change. God changes me. Always know this. Any time and every time that someone surrenders themselves to God, they are forever changed, never to be the same again. The leper is made whole and clean. The possessed, the demon-possessed, find release and relief. The grieving are comforted. The brokenhearted find peace. The sinner is forgiven. The guilty is declared innocent. The hellbound bound sinner is given a new destination and it's heaven. The hopeless find new hope and confidence and a reason to live. It goes like this as Paul says it to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone, if any person is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. In other words, as one person said it, if you are what you have always been, then you're not a Christian, whatever you are. If you are what you've always been, you're not saved. It's not real faith unless it somewhere has changed you, not just your destination, not just your hereafter, but your here and now. It changes you. James, again, the brother of our Lord, is very clear on this subject. He says in chapter 2 of the book that bears his name that faith without works is dead. If you say that you believe, and you say that you have faith, but you don't have works to bear it out, to live it out, to testify that if it is not changing you, it is a dead faith. Now, James does not go on to explain whether a dead faith will get you to heaven or not, but I wouldn't hold out a lot of hope for it. Is your faith, is your trust in Christ changing you? What it means is we are not trying to do works in order to get saved. If someone says, what is your reason, or ask you, what is the reason that you believe you're going to heaven? If you begin by saying anything about what you have done. Well, I put my faith and trust in Jesus. Well, I called on Jesus. Well, I walked an aisle. Well, I got baptized. If I is any part of your answer, it's not salvation. If you are saved, you're saved because of what Jesus has done. So we're not doing good works to try to get saved. We're doing because we are saved. Because God has given us a new hope. Because we're grateful and we're thankful. Because we want others to know about that. We don't do good works. For salvation, we do good works to grow in our sanctification, our Christ-likeness. Paul told the Thessalonians, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. So if your salvation is not leading you, if your conversion, if your surrender to God is not leading you to the baptismal waters to testify of that, Is not leading you to to love the people of God and the church of God and the work of God and the Word of God. Something's missing somewhere. Your life, if you are a Christian, has been changed. God's new creation. We have a new Father, God in heaven. We have a new family. The church, the people of God. We have a new faith, confidence, the Word of God. We have a new foundation to build our life on. Jesus Christ, the only foundation that will ever stand the storms of life. We have a new future, a home in heaven. Everything has become new because of the gospel of Christ. And so our lives become new as well. Our lives are changed. So where are you today? Do you believe? Really believe? Truly believe? More than here, but here. Has what you believed here about the gospel caused you to run up the white flag and surrender your life to God? And are you allowing him to change you day by day into greater Christ-likeness? Bow your heads with me, please. Father, thank you for the truth of your gospel. Thank you for making these apostles confident believers. Not fearful, questioning doubters. And Father, please do the same in me, in my life, and in each life that is represented here. Father, thank you for the infallible truths That the resurrection of Jesus is one of the greatest truths, the most uh, confident event in the history of mankind. That we have no reason to doubt your word. We have no reason to live as defeated people. Father, I pray for that person here today that maybe has been a member of a church for a long time but has never been truly converted. I pray that you would cause them to truly surrender their life, to confess with their mouth Christ, to let you change their life. I pray for that person, maybe that young person, who has trusted you but never taken a step of obedience and baptism. I pray that you would give them strength and courage to do that. I pray, Father, that you would work in this church what only you can do for the glory of your son Jesus Christ is in his name that I ask it
0: amen our hearts desires that you grow and understand the direction God has for you in your life we hope that by listening today you are one step closer to discovering that for yourself if you live in northwest Arkansas and are looking for a church to call your own we invite you to reach out to us at Calvary As we study and serve together, we meet for worship at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you wish to find out more information about Calvary Church or simply contact us, you can do that through our Facebook page or at calvaryfayetteville.com. Until next time, remember that God, His Word, and His people can provide direction for life.